welcome to Deeply Curious. My name is Cody Jensen. My name is Sarah. This is a podcast all about the things that we are curious about. And we started this because we tend to have these conversations when we're by ourselves uh, about, you know, what, what we heard on podcasts this week or what we have been reading about, things like that. Mm-hmm. And so we decided to put a microphone in between us and just talk about it right now. Yeah, I think we tend to come at topics of discussion from completely different angles most of the time, so we just enjoy discussing that. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like arguing, but it's more of a... It's passionate conversation. Yeah. (laughs) But before we jump into the conversation, we just want to let you guys know that this podcast is sponsored by The Things That We Love, and one of the things that we love and have been using for a really long time is the cash app it is a app that was created by square which if you've ever been to like a local bagel shop or you know went to a craft show and they took your card and scanned it on their phone typically they're using square register and that company made an app for the everyman uh Mm -hmm. called it was called uh square cash but i think they've recently changed it to just be the cash app and so Basically, what this app does, it just allows you to send money to your friends easily. Mm-hmm. If you you know buy the movie tickets for your friends so you can all sit together, they can just quickly go on the Cash App, send you the $17 you need when you see a movie in New York City. <laughs> um, but it's just quick and easy, and it's what we've been using with our friends for years now. It I think it's the best form of yeah. you know sharing you know, paying each other back, sharing money, things like that. Um, but what's awesome is if you sign up by going to cash.codyjensen.com, you actually get a free $5, no strings attached. You just get $5. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's pretty easy. And I mean, even if you'd never use it, you just get five bucks. Yeah. The thing I love the most about it is that the cash app now has debit cards attached to your app. So you can order your own debit card and um, the way I use this is like for budgeting. So if you are familiar with Dave Ramsey at all, he does like a cash only budget system, but we hate carrying cash. Hate it. So we, what we do is we load our cash app with our spending money and use that debit card for it. So it's separate from our bank account. You know, we don't overspend because we only have what's in the cash app in order to use it. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So like if Sarah's like, hey, for the budget this month, you have $50 to spend on whatever you want. Yeah. So she'll load $50 onto my cash app and then I have a card in my wallet that's like a debit card and works works everywhere. But it doesn't pull more from your bank account. Yeah. (laughs) So it's basically like having a siloed $50 sitting in an account that I can spend until it's gone. Yeah. That's makes, my favorite. Yeah, makes budgeting super easy. So yeah, if you want to get a free $5 and just go to cash.codyjensen.com and sign up that way, and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and another one of our sponsors is Ourself. Um, we have a clothing brand um, called Fake, and we have the hat that I'm wearing. If you're watching, if you cannot see, it is a black dad hat. It says fake press on it. We have a white one that says fake press. And then we also have a few other uh, colorways of just the fake patch hats and a t-shirt. We started this company because we just want to promote just living authentically, being yourself, being unapologetically yourself. And we called it fake just as an ironic name for a community of people choosing to be unapologetically themselves. And the and then we created the fake press app because the company is called fake and then trump and his whole fight for uh fake news fake news um one of the things that i believe is the best way to combat a bully is to steal their words take their words from them put them on yourself and make it your own label and then their words hold no power over you anymore so if you want to check out that uh gear you can go to fake.tm and yeah, we'd love for you guys to check it out, and it helps support us, support this show. Absolutely. So the first kind of topic of discussion that I that I wanted to talk about is one conversation that has always intrigued me is nature versus nurture. Mm-hmm. It's We've had tons of conversations about this, and if I could be like – if I could be – I forget what the – 
the, the science is called, but <laughs> you know, it's like whenever you you go and you just observe people mm-hmm. or a species, and um, I know there's a very specific word that all of you guys are thinking about right now, but it can't come to my own brain. Um, <laughs> I would like if I could do that in another life, that would be. I would love to like do inhumane experiments on children by um, <laughs> Sarah's face. <laughs> you can't put that on the internet. <laughs> it's inhumane, not in a torture way, but the only way to like study whether something is nature or nurture is you have to like have control groups and, but you can't like take kids away from their families and put them by themselves and say, like, let them grow up. Right. I see what you're saying. You want to know if they act that I understand. Yeah. And like put them in a room and make them grow up in that room forever. Yeah. Like by themselves or like what, what is pain? Like if, if nobody told you that, you know, the stove is hot and you touched it, um, I mean, I think we would say it's hot, but would it hurt as much as somebody who is taught that it's hot? And that is like, no, don't touch that. And like every time they touch it, they feel they get consoled. But if they just like burn themselves, you know, it seems like a pretty obvious answer that like it's going to hurt regardless. But it would be fun to know the the outcome of like, yeah, if pain, you know, is is somewhat taught or not. Right. It's like, um, not like this at all, but it reminds me of the guy who let his kids pick out their own name. Yes. Yeah. I love that story. That's in Freakonomics. If you, uh, it's in the Freakonomics book, but it's also, there is a Freakonomics podcast all about names. And that's probably one of my favorite ones. I love it. Yeah. It reminds me of that because that's sort of like an experiment of his own. Yeah. And like, who knows? Not that. I think the kids will be fine, but like they get to pick out their own names whenever they want. Like, it's just, I don't know. There is like a psychology behind you having a name. Mm -hmm. So like, I don't know. That's fascinating. And it is sort of an experiment on children. Yeah. I mean, that that's one of the studies. The reason I love it so much, because it is one of those studies that was able to happen without ruining people's lives yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we get to know the outcome of it. And basically I think at the end of that, like the outcome was that names don't matter as much as we think they do. Yeah. Um, the people, kids liked picking their names. Yeah. And, and just, and taking names uh, and saying like, this is a, a, a name that, you know, losers have. And this is right. a name that winners have. Like that doesn't really, means warrior. that doesn't really, there's that outcome really isn't, there's no evidence to support right. that naming your kid, um, you know, champion makes them a champion. Right. Typically it could actually do the opposite. Right. Um, the one thing, this is a side note, this isn't really what we're talking about, but (laughs) that was really interesting about that study is racism and how they did a study with interviews and having people with traditional black names, um, put that name on a resume or yeah. when they call in, like ha- say that name, mm-hmm. the, the study found that people with a more black sounding name was the callbacks that they got for the job were significantly less statistically yes. than if they would just use John. Yes. Because, um, there was a girl on that podcast who was saying that and she's actually white. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She has a black but sounding name, but she's yeah. white. And she never got calls back for interviews yeah which is crazy like it's insane yeah that's just insane and so that basically they it was like through the study they like proved systemic racism like even in in job place and in in the fairness of the job world biases like implicit bias and like all that even though you aren't biased right (laughs) yeah yeah so crazy i sorry I got you off topic. <laughs> um, so in the same lines, I was I was listening to uh, Hidden Brain the other day, and they were talking about um, this this type of, of thing, and they were talking about specifically disgust mm-hmm. and feeling disgust. So one example that I'm going to throw out, like without any backstory, okay. that just because I, I don't know, I just think it's funny. Think about this. Think about if you were to take water. If you take a drink of water mm-hmm. and put it in your mouth, mm-hmm. you're just drinking water. So you're taking the water and you're mixing it with your saliva and you're swallowing it. Gross. Yeah. But but it's regular. Right. But now take that same water in a cup, spit in it. No. And then drink it. No. 
Definitely it's, not. It's like that is disgusting. Yes. But it's the exact same thing. Like you put water right. into your mouth, it mixes with your saliva and you swallow it. I mean, you swallow your own spit all day. Right. Yeah. But if you were to remove that spit from your mouth, put it like just spit in a cup and then drink your spit back. Mm-mm. Like it, it, like my gag reflex kind of like. Yeah, I can it, feel it. Yeah. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> like that's so gross to think about. But when it never leaves your mouth. Right. It like isn't disgusting at all. Right. But now I can only focus on the spit in my mouth <laughs> and I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> But what they were saying is that um, disgust is a learned instinct, um, which that was really interesting to me. Um, there aren't things that naturally like repulse you. Well, that th- they said, think about children and kids. You actually have to teach them disgust. If they if they poop on themselves, they'll stick it in their own mouth. That's true. I guess they don't care. Like you have to teach them that that's disgusting. Like. We, it's a learned experience to feel disgust about poop and different things. But like children, they actually have to be taught that. And the other thing that was, uh, I found really interesting is they were saying that kids, even into like teenage years, um, yeah, that's kind of like whenever it starts to click, but kids have a really hard time recognizing facial expressions with the difference between disgust and anger. Hmm. And that's one of the things that kids have to learn through experience and, you know, just observing what that difference is. But in, initially, kids read a disgust face as anger, at, you know, in the same. They can't really differentiate um, that, which was just an interesting side note to me. I wonder if that has any, like, side effects psychologically. Like, if your parent has a face of disgust but they're really just angry like Mm -hmm. what i wonder if like that messes with your mind i have have no idea interesting so in that that topic of of just like disgust being learned and not instinctual um, one example they gave was they were interviewing this girl and she was telling a story of how when she was a kid she was in the car with her mom and they were driving and they drove by some like field or whatever. And her mom, you know, this smell like filled the car. And her mom was like, oh man, I love that smell. And like, she's like, you know, sniffing the air. Um, and the daughter was like, huh, that like, it just like, mm-hmm. it made her think about it. And then at, basically through the course of her childhood, she thought that was a, gr- a good smell. Um, and she was like, you know, she began to like that smell as well because her mom said like, I love that smell. But then... She said it turned out uh, later that it was not a very socially acceptable smell to think is great because I was on the playground and uh, a skunk smell came over and all the kids like yelled and screamed like, ooh, gross. And she's like, oh, yeah, ooh, gross. Wait, so her mom liked the smell of skunk? Right. Her mom liked the smell of skunk. And so she liked the smell of skunk because it was a learned ex- it was a learned experience like what a weird smell to like though yes. <laughs> but that what that made me think about was how some people i don't know if this is the same thing uh-huh. but what it made me think about is how some people really like the smell of gasoline i do i know that's why it, one of the reasons <laughs> it made me think about it is like yeah. liking the smell of gasoline and, you know, some people obviously, like, are repulsed by it. Right. Um, it's like, I wonder, you know, what that is. And then the other thing that I think is a primary example of learned mm-hmm. learned disgust is that you, as a child, your dad was a smoker. Mm-hmm. And so now you actually associate the smell of cigarette smoke with your dad, which right. gives you positive feelings. Right. I don't dislike the smell of cigarette smoke. Yes. <laughs> Versus, I I have no interest in ever smoking. I just want to throw that out there to begin <laughs> But I I do enjoy the smell of cigarette smoke, which is the complete opposite of me. Because and you, almost everybody on planet Earth, I mean, truthfully, no. I mean, I'm sure people have the same experience as you. As one, there are like tons of smokers who they are going to yeah. enjoy it, and then two, they it, they associate it with their you know family. Here's the thing, though. Maybe this isn't important to point out, but I feel like I need to defend myself <laughs> in this situation. It's not like the stale inside smoke. Like, that is gross no matter what, right? 
But, like, when you're outside and someone's smoking, like, I don't care. Like, I'll walk behind you. I'll walk by you. Blow it in my face. Whatever. Although I don't prefer you to blow it in my face. That's just disrespectful a little bit. But, anyways, I need to throw that. I don't like stale cigarette smoke smell. But But I do like cigarette smoke smell. Yes, because you associate that with positive experience of your father. Right. Like, every day I would come home from school and my dad would hug me and it smelled like cigarettes. Yeah. Versus, like, myself, not only did my parents not smoke, but they made it very clear that, like, smoking is bad. Right. And, like, just, they gave, they gave a very negative, like, connotation to smoking. And so now, I, I cannot stand the smell of smoke. Like, it, you have even walking by somebody on the sidewalk, I hold my breath, like, because I can't. Yeah. I can't handle it. Yeah. You definitely have a difficult time with it. So then is that nurture? Yeah. Like disgust is a nurtured like mm-hmm. experience, which was so interesting to me to think about because we have like, you know, a lot of innate, you know, mm-hmm. things that, you know, like pain. Right. You know, I, I think it's a little different because pain isn't a psychological thing. Right. Um, but just... We, it's just weird to think about that we, if left to our own, you know, devices, we... Nothing would be gross. Right. Or, or would it eventually? Like, I don't... Right. I mean, I, I, mean, I don't think we've had a, maybe there is a study or something of a kid who was raised by wolves, literally, yeah. but like, <laughs> is there a certain point, like, where you realize that you shouldn't play with poop because... Every time you do, it gets you sick. Yeah, like it's bacterial. Or do you just like never like figure that out? I mean, I would assume that at some point you, I mean, because when, as you grow up, your mind changes, whether your parents have anything to do with what, like what you find gross or not. Like, I mean, we do grow up and like our mind becomes an adult ish. So like, I feel like there can't like... You have to figure out some of that stuff just as you grow. But I've never lived in a world where parents didn't raise their kids and to, you know, Mm -hmm. like, so I don't know. But I mean, that makes me think about these cultures and, you know, underdeveloped countries and things like that, where they do live among these things that us as, you know, privileged, you know, people in the world, Westerners, like we find repulsive Right. And it's like part of everyday life. Even just the food they eat. Right. I can't. mm, There's no way. And that was another example, too, is like there are, as American, let's say. Yeah. There are certain things like eating bugs. Right. That we find disgusting. Right. Like the idea of like a bug meal. Right. Like is just gross. Yeah. And but there are other cultures in this world that bugs are delicacy. Yeah, but then we eat snails and crap, so... Right, and there's probably some other cultures in the world who, like, think that Americans eating snails is the grossest thing they've ever heard while they're eating a scorpion. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would like to know how... There's no way you can know, I guess. But, like, if you put the entire world in one overarching, like, climate scene, right? They all had the same, and, like... Nobody was raised by anybody with any kind of, like, opinions, right? What a human being would actually be like. Yeah. I feel like a lot of who we are is nurture. I do feel like there are certain things that are just nature. Like, there are certain things that some people are going to gravitate toward and others are going to be repulsed by, right? But, like, I feel like most of it's probably nurture. Well... A lot or of, even just, I guess, maybe not necessarily n- nurture, but like experiences that you've had and then the way it was handled, which I guess would kind of be nurture. It wouldn't be nature. I mean, a lot of our experiences as humans is definitely nurture. That's why we were raised, you know, from infant to, right. you know, we don't need to be raised until 18, but, right. you know, but until... You know, a lot of years, way more years than any other, like, yeah, species or mammal that I can think of. Like, right. you know, 
there are some obviously packs that stay together for life, but as far as like, we are, we take, we take a lot of time with our children to like teach them like everything they need to know. And really work that well either. And how like a lot of animals, they like come out of the womb walking. Right. Like they pop out, they lay there for, you know, maybe a day, maybe some hours, maybe a few minutes, but then eventually they like get up and start wobbly walking Mm -hmm. and go for it. Yeah. And it's like humans take years. Yeah. Like that's true. There's not very much nurture in nature. (laughs) Because like anthropologist, that's who studies uh, like things. Yes, anthropologist. (laughs) Because like in in the wild, it's survive or not. Mm -hmm. That's your only option. So there's not a lot of nurture because they have to teach them how to survive. Another food interesting thing. Uh that I learned was that was about lobster Mm -hmm. and how lobster used to be, I don't remember how many years ago, but it was in, it would have been that at the turn of the century, whenever like slavery was like full on, um, lobster was something that was only given to slaves. It was like regarded as like lower than low, like, like only people they didn't even consider people like right. they get, you know, eat, were able to eat it or that were fed right. that. Um, and obviously those that were in slavery did not enjoy it because it was, you know, the psychology of being fed something that right. nobody else would eat. That wasn't worth um, anything, yeah. But then it's just, it's crazy how over time something that was regarded by high society as disgusting and given to what they considered to be the lowest of the low eventually flipped to where now it is in high regard where only those who are rich enough to be able to afford it can eat lobster and kind of like a delicacy right and those in poverty can't afford to eat lobster and it's it's like so crazy how things completely change in society that and flip all the time yes. though i don't understand how that happens i mean i can't think of an example but i mean just, i mean we don't i don't want to get into it but just like even politics how you know right like the party systems JFK, like completely flipped like what yeah. they believe you know left and right are like now almost it. opposites and um just things like that it's, it's just crazy how because i don't know i kind of feel like it's because of our generations like because we live this you know life of 80 to 100 years or whatever Mm -hmm. and we feel like the whole universe revolves around you know our lifetime Mm -hmm. but there are so many lifetimes that have lived before and are going to live after and we only see basically we only experience our generation Mm -hmm. one to one and a half generations before us and that's it yeah it's like because you know, obviously our parents and our, you know, some of our grandparents are living. Right. And so like you get those experiences, but beyond that, you actually have to educate yourself and learn and only a fraction of people actually do that. And so a, a concept of like lobster being disgusting can flip with, with just, you know, just like 50, 60, 70 years or whatever it is. Yeah. Like easily. That's true. It just takes like one one generation feeling a little bit different, the next generation feeling a lot different, and then all of a sudden it's the opposite of what it used to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. But it's weird just like being in it because it feels like that type of stuff takes forever because we our life is long in our perspective, right. but is very short in the universe's perspective. Right. So it's like, wow, how did that even happen? But Which is also crazy to think about. Because our life does feel so long. Because mm-hmm. you you are only in your head. Like, that's all you get. Yeah. <laughs> it's really not that long. No. There's a lot. Like, you can do a ton in your life. Oh, for sure. But it's like the amount of years, like, compared to history. Right. Compared to the world. I mean, just like with everything else ever, it's all about perspective. Yeah. Because with perspective of you know, the timeline of history, we're like a speck. Right. A speck on a speck. But you can also sit, like talk about, you know, take the, the opposite approach and talk about how much time you have every day. 
Oh, for sure. And say like, you know, people say, you know, well, I just don't have enough time and talk about, well, you actually do. You have time to do everything right. that you want to do if you manage it and you know, right. do well, basically, you know, time management and all that yeah. type of stuff. It's like you need perspective for all of it. Because you can, like, if you only have the perspective of my life is just a speck on a speck, you know, I can never right. accomplish anything. You would do nothing. and Right. But then have the perspective it. of we have the same amount of hours every day as Beyonce. Right. And like, oh, okay. Well, I guess I could probably do more than watch Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. One really interesting thing that has stuck with me throughout my life about nature versus nurture and... I know this is is a ridiculous like thing, mm-hmm. um, but it's still fun to think about. Is growing up, my dad's best friend. He is really tall. He's like I don't know. It's probably six five or something. And he's his actual biological family are all short, um, definitely under six feet, um, and some of them are like under five five. But it's funny because he he believes that that his height comes from uh, nurture, not from nature, because he spent most of his time as a child with tall people. Huh. Um, because of his family situations, like basically yeah. he essentially was raised by a taller family than his own, and so he made it to you know six five or whatever he is, right? Um, because of the like Nate nurturing by tall people, <laughs> which sounds like crazy, but then it's also like, well, what, how did he get tall though? Yeah. I mean, my immediate reaction is no way. Um, but I mean, if his entire family is short, then who am I to say that he's wrong? <laughs> like, I don't know. He doesn't have any tall people. Like, I mean, that's what he's, I mean, that's what he says. That's the reason he believes that is because like, he doesn't know of like, where the tallness came from. Interesting. Like, where did the tall gene get passed down? Yeah. And skipped over right. for however many years. Right. But then, like, you think about, well, when you're a kid, everybody's tall. True. But he's got to know now, like, how tall they are. Like, he wouldn't say that if they weren't actually tall, right? Right. Uh, no, I'm, I'm just, I'm not speaking to his situation. I'm saying oh. in general. Yeah. Whenever you're a kid, all, like every kid is raised by tall people. Right. Even if they're four foot tall, like right. a child is, you know, a few inches. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it, you, you know, it's like technically are, and then that, like in that theory, let's say if you were to, you know, say that, let's just take this as a conspiracy theory that mm-hmm. we're tall because we're raised by tall people. Yeah. It's like if an infant was left to his, by himself, would it would it grow would it grow it's like <laughs> yeah it would yeah um it's like right, because biology. there's a whole civilization uh or no not a civilization because they had to be there's a whole group of people who are raised in in solitude mm-hmm. who are the size of infants because they never were uh given anything to look up to yeah <laughs> <laughs> interesting i don't know what do you i mean what do you believe mostly nurture mostly nature Half and half. I don't know. I, I I always, I think the reason the conversation like intrigues me so much is because of like how much I think possibly that we are nurtured mm-hmm. um, in, into believing in that our instinctual ca- capabilities as humans is pretty limited. Mm-hmm. Um, like we're only born with really the instinct to suck and like drink and breathe like I thought you meant actually, like, suck as a person. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's like, uh... I mean, kids are pretty crappy people, so... <laughs> they do have to be yeah. uh, taught how to be decent human beings. <laughs> right. Yeah. I do think a lot of it is nurture. I just... I would like to know how much of it is nurture. Like, I... I don't know. Because I do... I feel like... I mean, you can look at you know, a I family... Act- I feel like this is something that we could actually study and learn. I think people probably have written books about how much is nature and nurture, but that's no fun. No, I'd I'd rather just theorize about it. (laughs) I think, I mean, you can look at like a family though with like multiple kids and see how different the kids are. Or twins. 
or twins and see how different they are. And then, like, you can't deny that. That can't just be nurture. Right. Yeah, a family and twins and, like, all that type of stuff, I think, is a primary example of, like, how different lives can be under the same circumstances. Right. It's like, especially with twins, because not only... Like two siblings, you could say like, well, they had the the experience of male versus female. They had the experience mm-hmm. of being the firstborn versus the secondborn or the right. thirdborn or the fourth or whatever. Right. Or they had the experience of the parents raising this kid in year 2007 and the next kid was right. raised in year 2009. Right. So like those experiences are going to be different. But identical twins. Right. You know, a lot of times they can be like have very different personalities and do very different things, mm-hmm. even though they have genetically, they're obviously the same. Right. Um, they were raised in the same environment. Right. And yet, same year, same. I mean, yeah, it's just double. It's not like different, you know, right. there's got to be some sort of nature. But I wonder if there's I think that that proves that our personality is not nurtured. Our personality is innate, like who we are, like at the core, like obviously our personality is crafted from experience, Mm -hmm. but let's just say like the personality of introvert versus extrovert, just because that's like, I feel like more like neutral. Yeah. Um, Like they've done like, and so, you know, a, a pair of twins who one of them is an introvert, one of them is an extrovert and like. They may even be into the same things. They mm-hmm. just like happen to like recharge in that way. Basically, what I'm getting at is it does show that our personalities are in inside of us, mm-hmm. you know, to to a degree that is not necessarily nurtured. Right. But it doesn't necessarily because basically we would need and maybe there is out there like twins who are crazy different, mm-hmm. like. You know what? That's the experiment you would have to run is, and this is what I mean by uh, uh, inhumane is like, is it would be inhumane to run this experiment, but like take a pair of twins mm-hmm. there. It's like they're a genetic match. Keep one with their short family, put the other one with a tall family mm-hmm. and see what happens. Cause genetically they should be the same height. Yeah, that's true. Actually, that reminds me of a, I don't know if it was a podcast. Probably. Or something. But these girls, two girls were born on the same day, same hospital, same town, same everything. They got switched Mm -hmm. in the hospital. Do you remember this? Yeah. And one went to a very um, creative, very like, I don't know, boho kind of family. And the other went to a much stricter um, numbers, no art kind of family. And they found out. And tried to live with their original families again, and they they all hated it. Mm-hmm. They went back to their not real family. Yeah, I mean, which would make sense because that like that's like think right. about being raised and call like learning and loving two people as your parents, right? And then eventually one day, like you're just given to this other family, just like, right? But like, let's say like the creative family who had the baby, mm-hmm. like. Really, like, because those kinds of talents typically can and are passed down, right? Like, if you're born into a creative family, you're way more likely to be creative. I definitely think creativity is nurtured. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, because you can nurture it. She should have been creative, like, just Mm -hmm. innately creative. Mm -hmm. Um, But she wasn't. Right. She preferred the house that she was in. Mm -hmm. And then the girl who wasn't born into it, like, a creative family loved like was just so good at art and everything yeah so it's like i don't know should have been nature but wasn't yeah i mean yeah like it's just creativity is not in your genes it's like right it is how you were raised brought up or what you believe about yourself you know that right. type of thing because i mean i i believe that even if you weren't nurtured in a creative family you can be creative now if you choose to work that muscle and it's like, right. you're going to suck at creativity, you know, because you haven't been practicing it for years and, right. and at a young age where your brain is developing in that way. Right. But it doesn't mean that you can't cultivate that creativity later. Right. You know, old dogs can learn new tricks type thing. Right. But one but thing. But do you think that, let's take like musicians for an example. Do you mm-hmm. think that there needs to be an inherent talent there before the, like, 
it's not just about exercising your creative muscle, but it's about like actually having talent. Obviously there are prodigies like in that way, but let's just take that aside and just say somebody, you know, like can somebody attain John Mayer level talent Mm -hmm. starting at 40 years old? I don't know would be the answer, but I think I like to believe that the answer is yes. If they surrounded themselves with the right things and people Mm -hmm. and they dedicated themselves to crafting that um, talent and gave up, basically they would give up their old life and Mm -hmm. devote themselves to that new thing. And I do think that not everybody could do that. Right. If you took 10 people let them all like say, Hey, we're going to pay your salary. We're going to let you quit everything. And you're going to devote yourself to this new dream of being an amazing recording artist. Only if I, a fraction, I don't know what the percentage would be. Some of those people would just couldn't do it. They're the personality that they have cannot reach the level of our artistry and creativity that some of the others will be able to. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what that necessarily is. Um, I mean, I I would argue that maybe some of that is nature, not nurture. Well, but that's the thing is take John Mayer and don't let him play anything as a kid and, and have him be raised not, by a completely no, a different family. Does he become John Mayer? Or I don't know. Is he an accountant or a president or like... You know something else yeah I don't know see this is like the nature versus nurture this is where I, I always just like go back and forth I argue with myself 100% of the time I don't know what I believe well because I I think if we're talking like specifically creativity and art because you know I think some of it has to be like innate some of it has to be like you but then you look at this family who by all means this girl should have been creative because she was from an insanely creative family and she did she wasn't didn't even want to be so then it's like maybe it is all nurture i don't know Mm -hmm. but i just feel like there's something like something in like john mayer who that makes him john mayer like it's why he's john mayer and why nobody else is Mm -hmm. is john mayer like there's something I feel like there's got to be some sort of like innate and maybe it's just like luck, like circumstances around you or mm-hmm. something. But I don't know. There's something in, because I feel like if everybody could just practice all the time and be as good as John Mayer, then we wouldn't need John Mayer. Like there's a reason. Well, that. But there are very, very, very few people in this world who would ever have the one, the resources to even do it right. as an adult. Like, give up everything to... Right, we're not talking necessarily about as an adult, just in general. Okay. So, to that point, John Mayer became John Mayer because he has the the skills, talent, and ability Mm -hmm. surrounded with his life experience. And nobody, nobody is going to be another John Mayer because nobody has that specific formula that made his life. Right. You know, it's like, name another artist who you think is just as talented as John Mayer and they make completely different music. Right. Because their life experience is completely different. Right. But it doesn't make their talent level any lesser than or greater than. Right. You know, it's like they they obtained this like artistry and this level of like being able to write, you know, music that has feeling and emotion and like right. and also has just amazing technical skill. Like yes, that takes like a certain thing. But mostly I think it's the the ones that resonate are the ones that identify with his life experience in, in, in the things that he's putting out. I mean, does that make sense at all? Yeah, but I just feel like not every person can do that. I feel like there has to be an innate talent. And okay, innate- here I think is a... I have two examples that counter that. Okay. First is a less directly related, uh-huh. but still I think is in the same vein... Take adopted children from other countries mm-hmm. who, let's say they're from China, so they have Chinese genes. They have come from a lineage of Chinese people that have all believed in very similar way of life, similar things. They, um, you know, obviously all of these genetics have been passed down through, you know, right. you know how genetics work. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and if they were born in China, they would probably 
be just like their parents and believe in the same way of life and the same philosophies, probably go into the same field of work or similar related thing. But if they're adopted and brought to America and they were raised here, you talk to them, they, some, some, depending on how they're raised, have no connection to their Chinese heritage. Yeah. They don't like have any, they don't have any knowledge of it. No like feelings about it. They live a very American lifestyle. Um, you know, some of those, you know, kids could have grown up and become like capitalistic and like everything that America like has. And they live like this American dream of like, you know, everything that comes with that with, I mean, with literally zero, like, uh, nature, Right. To their original heritage. Right. And they grew up in, in these American ideals and became, I would love to uh, think about, you know, something that is so, I'm not familiar enough with the Chinese culture to say this is so un-Chinese. Um, but, uh, I'll just use the example of, of like John Mayer, since we're talking about him, like this, like genetically Chinese kid Mm -hmm. grew up in John Mayer's house as his brother. Right. And became like this amazing musician and like was an artist, but his original family maybe didn't believe in music or. Right. It's like, it's like Coco, like his family doesn't believe in music, you know, Um, but he was like raised by this other family. And, you know, maybe if he was with his original family, music would have brought shame upon the family. But because he was raised in less like American family, he became like as good as John Mayer type of thing. But, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I don't disagree. I mean, that's pretty, like, a standard example of, like, nature versus nurture. There are a lot of kids who are adopted who don't have any connection to their original heritage. So I guess, yeah, that's true. Another, I think this is, like, a direct example and counter to what you're saying, is take all of these Olympic children. Mm Mm-hmm like the Russian figure skaters and ballerinas and, you know, because they basically, because they're not, you know, America where, you know, it's, it's a not where it isn't as frowned upon as, you know, maybe in America to take a child and put them through rigorous training their whole life. And they basically factory produce these amazing, talented, you know, artists and, you know, they, they can accomplish all these things. And then on same thing, take these um, kids who, you know, raised in uh, Colorado or in you know Scandinavia, who their families are skiing families. Mm-hmm. And so they're on skis. As soon as they have the leg muscles to stand up, they're on skis. Right. Then they are nurtured all the way through that. Right. Into well, now they are like world-class Olympic, like, world champ skiers. Right. If you took that uh, kid who, you know, was born into the skiing family in Colorado, moved him to New York City, and never got the chance to ski, he's not going to be a skier. Right. And even though in, in the other environment where he was nurtured, became world-class, the most talented skier anybody has ever seen, like changed the whole the whole skiing game you know whatever it's like basically the the john mayer of you know skiing it's like anybody can be that kid so if anybody can be that kid then anybody can be john mayer yes i don't disagree with you but there's like something about me that that just doesn't sound right i don't know and maybe like i can see it from like a sports perspective that if you just practice enough like you can be good. If you have the want to and the persistence, you can do it. But like, I don't know. Art feels more, feels different than that. And it's hard for me to say like, yes, anybody can be this level of good. Because I feel like there's like an innate talent that you have to have, or at least like, because I don't think that anybody can be John Mayer because you have to have the talent and the ability and the time and the passion and the songwriting ability and the like putting the melody and the harmony and the lyrics and everything together. No, 
Like, that's not a learned thing. Like, it is, but it's not. Like, there's got to be, like, this just, like, inherent, like, understanding. And then you build on top of that, I feel like. I mean, but other than being a prodigy, what in there is not something that was nurtured? I mean, because even I can say even the passion was nurtured because of the circumstances in which he, you know, was raised. Yeah. I don't know. I just think there's and, and no, something that keeps me from saying, yes, anybody can be a John Mayer or a Steve Jobs or whoever, like yeah. whoever you want to think. Like, And I, I, don't, I don't think anybody could decide to be a John Mayer because that it has to be started before you even make decisions, basically. Yeah. Like to, to, to replicate something like that where a kid was you know, raised in a certain way and given music at a very early age because mm-hmm. your brain, when your brain is developing, your, all, all the synapses and everything that's happening in your brain, they, they're all developing around that, around right. this musical language. Okay. And so you can't like a 40 year old, no, like is going to have a way harder time learning the new language of music. Right. Than a four year old. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. I can agree with that. <laughs> Okay, so now I'm going to basically devil's advocate my own point Mm -hmm. and argue with myself that it is mostly nurture. Right. Because let's take this example and say, I don't know if John Mayer has siblings, but if he does, let's put a brother there and very close in age, um, 10 months apart or something. It's like John Mayer's brother isn't Mm -hmm. another amazing musician, or maybe he is, but he's just not well known. I don't know. But... The, the point of my argument right. is that they have different personalities. Mm-hmm. It's like like what we were saying in the beginning, that I think there is a, a core like personality in there that is nature. Yeah. That is our natural, like for what I would say is who God designed that person to be. That's why every single person on this world, you know, all billions of us, is like even those who were raised with exact same circumstances are even so different from each other Mm -hmm. because every single person is completely unique because God designed us all to be individuals and to be completely unique, to bring our own perspectives to this world. And so there is that innate core of who we are that can't be taught. So you're agreeing with me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm half agreeing because I don't think that you could pluck a kid from, you know, Australia mm-hmm. and, you know, just like pluck him out. It was adopted, move him to America. And he has the exact same birthday as John Mayer plopped him in like with his family and they raised them to be the exact like no biases, no like different treatment, exactly the same. Would that kid end up writing just as amazing guitar and lyrical like songs maybe but probably not like because he has a different personality but that also makes me think that i i am right in the fact that (laughs) that if this okay so this this has the caveat of that his personality enjoys it and wants to do it right um if given all of the same treatment, courses, right. classes, mentors, you know, resources could be as talented as John Mayer, but maybe would, you know, end up writing the best EDM that the world like, you know, has heard or whatever. It's like mm-hmm. maybe is like given all the same resources and everything, the musical ability is like the same because they were nurtured like to be amazing musicians and to think critically in their own head about lyrics and their own experiences and like everything like that. And they, but they would still end up making different art, even at the same caliber. I don't, I don't mean like somebody, nobody else is capable of writing an exact John Mayer song. I mean, the level of John Mayer that John Mayer is as far as like talent and ability goes. I feel like, and maybe it's, I don't know. I'm back to, I don't know. So there we go. I mean, I think that's, (laughs) how everything this is this podcast and all of our conversations that's typically how they will end is 
have the discussion, and it ends with, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No further along in my understanding than when I started. (laughs) But the questions were fun to think about. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think, um, yeah, I think that there is some sort of nature that we are inherently who we are. And, like, you can't be, like, nobody else can be John Mayer. Like, nobody else can be because he is inherently himself and you are inherently yourself. But, like... I feel like maybe what I think is that the majority is nurture. Yeah. Like, I don't want to say like 80 or 90 percent, but maybe like 65 or 60 Mm percent is nurture. Because you think about those kids who, you know, come up in a rough life and Mm -hmm. they strive to be more and they break out. Right. And they make it and they they do very well. Do their own thing. But it's like. Was that because of a two-factor? One, that their nature is to be a rebel mm-hmm. um, or to break out of the status quo or whatever. Like, that, that that part of it was their nature. But the nurture was that even if there was nobody in their life, the nurture was the music or the TV or well, something I, in their I life think- that, like, pushed them to be like, oh, wait, I see this movie and these people don't live the life that I live I think nurture can be the opposite. It doesn't have to be like you're nurturing something into this thing. It can be like you see how your parents live and you inherently know that you don't want that. Mm -hmm. You know, like that can be nurture in the opposite way. Yeah, I mean, it's it's generational systemic poverty or anything like that. It's, It's these people that are stuck in that. It's not because of their nature. Right. It's like they're not right, but they're not born with the nature of of being poor. Right. It's like the the circumstances and everything that is around them like don't afford them the ability to get out without, you know, something like in you know, uh, a driving force like enacting on that. Right. I mean, like you were saying that nature it could be nature that they're like a rebel or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think that it's possible it could be nurture that they're that they're just like aware of how they're being brought up and like don't want that, you know, mm-hmm. like that can be nurture in the opposite way. And maybe it's not nature that they are just like a rebel. Maybe it is. I mean, it's also like just different countries and different societies in this world. You know, they talk about we've heard many stories of like Sweden or other, um, you know, northern Scandinavian like type countries, how they are nurtured to blend to right. not stand out, right. like be, everybody needs to be the same and to no one, or like what uh, Michelle was telling us last night of like the tall poppy syndrome in Australia. Like if you, you're like made if, fun of if you are superior to anybody else yeah. in whatever way. It's like, if you stand up or stand out in any way for, you know, whatever, like you're called the tall poppy and it's like looked down upon. Mm hmm. Than more than like in America where that person would be glorified. Yeah. And so like that is all nature. Which is super fascinating in itself too, because America is not that. Mm -hmm. And like, I don't know if I like that better or not, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, it's hard because. There's a piece of me that's like, yes, like, but then also because I get so tired of like the chasing and the glorifying other people and things like that. But then. Also, my personality type, literally, like, all I care about is not being like everybody else. Like, in whatever way that I find Mm -hmm. that will make me different, I want to be different. I want to be unique. So then it's like, I don't know if I'd actually like it. Right. I mean, obviously, there's no utopia society. Right. So, like, you have to, there's different pros and cons to every, like, country's, like, way of like living or society that they've been brought up in. But it's like, you think about, you know, these countries who it's, it's valued to not stand out to like, mm-hmm. everybody is all in it together. And you, and you, there are certain things about that, that like you're saying are so different than America that it makes it appealing of like, it's not this rat race. It's not these everybody out for themselves. Like, right. Well, pushing, and all if of you, the gaps are so much smaller, right. like the poverty gap, the gender gap, you know, all of these things are so much smaller in mm. those societies because 
everyone is working together to help everybody. Right. Which sounds really nice. <laughs> but then it's like you think about that and it's like, that's really nice that these people aren't out for themselves and like everybody's like pushing everybody else down so they can be one leg up. But that's not how we get like the Steve Jobs. I was going to say, but or then can the, you actually discover what you are meant to discover? You right. You know, like. Like is, is the cure for cancer in somebody right now that is too afraid to stand up and right. like to be more confident yeah. in their ability. And I don't know if that's a great example, but just like, <laughs> right. is, is there somebody out there who is being brought down to feeling like they can't pursue something more because of the society that is nurturing them? Right. But it's like, so I think about that, like that seems appealing. That seems like, you know, something that we should take on. But then at the same time, because of the way I was nurtured in America, mm-hmm. it's like, but I would not fit in there because well, yeah. I'm not going to like, even though I would love to uh, experience what it's like to live in Sweden, let's say, I'm not going to go there and not be myself right. and not like pursue my passions and, you know, basically I- be the tall poppy. Like, you know, yeah. like I would never just stop and, and blend in because that's not who I am, but right. that's not who I am because I was nurtured in America in the way that I was nurtured. Right. I don't know. It's very fascinating. But then it's also like, maybe it's less like that now because the world is so global. I do feel like, Mm -hmm. I mean, like there are plenty of examples in Sweden, for example, of people who are like massively succeeding at what they're doing and, or in Australia and like, they're very well known and they're very, you know, like, but maybe it's, maybe now it's being like, not so much blending in, but just not being boastful. Right. Or I like, I hope like that's, that's kind of like my, I'm thinking like my ideal, you know, Yeah. it would be like, maybe it's not so much about like blending in or making fun of people who are doing massively well, but just like not being boastful about your, not being American about it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's like what you do doesn't define you as much as it does here. Right. It's like you are defined by who you are, not by what you do. Right. Versus in America, it's the, it's the first question that anybody ever asks is like, right. what do you do? Yeah. Not who are you? Right. And, you know, some people ask that and they're like, who are you? Yeah. Why should I talk to you? Like, <laughs> what, what thinks you're on my level? Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's so frustrating. I could talk a lot about how frustrating I find a lot of things in America. <laughs> but I don't know that it'd be different I, or better if I went anywhere else, you know? Like, it's... Right. Everywhere has its problems. Yeah. It's like America has those negative things that I think are a detriment to our personal well-being, mm-hmm. but that have afforded our society amazing things. Absolutely. Innovations and like I just mean, entertainments yeah. and like all of these different things and, and certain individuals like the Elon Musk of the world who are, he's going to single-handedly change parts of all of our lives in this right. in, in this on this Especially globe if he builds that hyperloop y'all yeah honestly i'm so i mean just to, just with the the battery innovations and electric car, like you know right. being able to do electric cars and everything like that it's like it's going to happen in our lifetime now and i'm basically what i'm doing is i'm trying no, to say that i'm not being an, an arrogant american and saying that all great things have come from america like right there are millions of people who have come from other countries that have changed the world right but the society that America chooses to cultivate is sort of ideal for right. Um, but those people. that those positives, like you know, put put that right. on the pro column, causes a bunch of cons, right? Because of I mean, you know, the two percent and right. like this the, the massive the, gaps. Yeah, the the, yeah. the America is the country who consumes the most antidepressants. We can't sleep. We can't. I mean, literally, we're so unhealthy. Right. We work the longest hours with the, with the least vacation. Right. No guaranteed, like, you know. Anything. Maternity and, like, all that type of stuff. It's Or even insurance right. is insane. Like, all of it is so, yeah. It's crazy. Yes. And it's really depressing and, to think about. And all of that stuff is, I feel like, has stemmed from, you know, the, the like. I think The greed. capitalistic and the greed yeah. and, like, the you know, the American dream type thing. But that's not to say that we can't 
change all of that stuff and still keep the ability for people to strive to be the best that they possibly want to be. Right. Like, obviously, I don't have any of those answers, but I think that if if people worked together, a lot of those stuff could be solved. Absolutely can do that. Um, Again, like, you just have to... People are too greedy here. Like, I... I don't, I don't feel like it's not possible, but at the same time, like, uh, I mean, mm-hmm. I don't have a lot of hope for our current situation. Like, I don't feel like there's much that is or will be done. And it takes a long time to change things like that. Like, yeah. a long time. And we're so far, I feel like we've gotten so far off course that it's just going to take... I don't know, years to get back to where, I mean, things weren't even fair before. Like, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, but to get back to a place where, um, you know, the poverty gap is less and the in like people can actually afford to go to a doctor. And I mean, I think it's dangerous though. Like I, I completely understand what you're saying, but it just made me think about, I think it is dangerous to say, to get back to these things because I think it more so has to just say just striving to get these things because right, that's, yeah. I, I'm not, I'm not, I am not, um, I understand what you're saying, but what I'm more so it made me think about yeah. the society at large, mm-hmm. how we, I mean, even like, you know, Trump's slogan of like, make America great again. Right. It's like, it's was America true. really ever great? No. It's well, like, Yes and no. Right. Then, you know, it's like there were some things that were better at, you know, you know, year X. It's like, but in that year. We've never been good at gender equality. We've never been good at the poverty gap. It's like there's no perfect decade. There's no perfect like time to get back to. Right. So it's like quit. I'm just basically saying like instead of looking to the past and saying we need to get back to these things, let's all just look forward and say, Let's change all of whatever we need to change to make a better America, a better world, a better society for our children. Zadie Smith actually talked about that in one of her essays that I read recently. She was talking about how, like, some people have a longer livable history than others. Mm -hmm. She said, like, uh, she said, uh, because she's black and um, she was like, I and a woman. (laughs) She's like, I understand that I have a much shorter livable history than a white male politician. Like when they are nostalgic for the fifties, it's because they had everything they could ever want. She was like, I was, I, I can't wish to live in the fifties. My livable history is much, much shorter than Mm -hmm. that. And I thought that was a really interesting, um, way of looking at, again, like, the make America great again. It's like, it's not though, because everybody has such a short livable history or well, the majority of people right. have such a short livable history that, I mean, I wouldn't even want to live in the fifties, mm-hmm. you know, like it wasn't exactly like good for women. And, um, so it's like make white male America Great, great again. again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, which I just thought was a really fascinating way of looking at like progress and like what we're trying to strive for. And again, like you were saying, like not going back, but so interesting. just to realize that people actually have a, sh- a really short livable history. Mm-hmm. And like, I think this comes back to what you're, what we were talking about earlier, how you just said, like, it's, it's going to take so long to change this stuff. Mm-hmm. But really, if you're looking, if you're holding the perspective of your lifetime, then yes. <laughs> yeah. Right. But it could all change in one generation. Right. And maybe we don't get to live the, the ultimate like fruits of it. Mm-hmm. But I mean, there's nothing to say that our, our next generation, right. Like, could live a completely different life. Well, they will and are. I mean, I hopefully. Mean, I feel like, I mean, take like the the Parkland shooting survivors as an example. Like, mm-hmm. no, I mean, they're children, high schoolers. Right. And they're like changing history. 
one last one last thing to, to kind of wrap this back up into uh, nature versus nurture that made me uh, think about what you your kind of like argument of that it's you know mostly you know nurture and, and that you think a lot of the talent and I'm things not in 50, nature fifty but I'm yeah. like kind of close to that <laughs> right and it made me think about how you know we're talking about how we think that you know, the personality part of it mm-hmm. is nature, which I still believe. But one kind of like counter I have to that, that maybe only piece of our personality is nature. Yeah, is I agree. The fact that, you know, you talk about um, Enneagram and personality test and all that type of stuff, you know, a lot. I think that you, I mean, we value that. You value it a lot of just like learning, you know, who you are, self-awareness, you know, all the type of stuff. We'll end up having... um uh, you know, I would love to do a whole episode about that mm-hmm. type of stuff, but just to briefly mention something is like with with the Enneagram specifically, your personality and who you are today is 100% stems from past woundings. Yeah. So, um, yes, people have like certain tendencies, like from whenever you're like, I think introversion, extroversion is a apparent when you're babies mm-hmm. um, or kids, whatever. Um, but personality, and I, I can't remember exactly what it is, but you break the word up and it actually means like a mask in Greek or whatever it is. It's Mm -hmm. in the book. Um, but your personality is actually a mask that you wear and in the world. So like, depending on like your childhood wounding, whether it was legitimate or perceived wounding, you adopt these certain traits in order to protect yourself from that ever happening to you again. And that's kind of like your personality. That's how you present yourself to the world Mm -hmm. because you're protecting like that one area that got wounded that you never want to happen to you again. Yeah. So like basically wanted to round that back to that, that I think I do believe that we all have this like, inner personality this like inner you know person our core right. is a unique right you perspective you. that god has given you like each of us our own like who we are mm-hmm. but a lot of who we are is circumstance circum- yeah is nurtured yeah but based on circumstances and and yeah. upbringing and everything else maybe i'm 70 30 <laughs> 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 yeah it's true. I mean, even like who you are innately is because of what happened to you. Like mm-hmm. it's. Yeah. I don't know. Well, um, we've been talking about this for a while, so we'll kind of wrap it up. But the last thing that I wanted to say about this is that, you know, being the nature of humans, one thing that I very much love and appreciate is that whenever we are born, we have to be taught almost everything. Mm-hmm. But one of the very few things that we never have to be taught how to do is to laugh. Yeah, that's true. You never have to teach a baby to laugh. It's just that is our natural instinct to feel joy and happiness and express. Yeah, unashamed and just enjoy life. Yep. So that's what we try to do. It's what we're uh, just trying to live our best lives, you know? Yep. So thank you guys for listening to this episode of Deeply Curious. Just a reminder that this episode is sponsored by the things that we love. And this week, we love the Cash app. You can check it out at cash.codyjensen.com. Get your free $5. And also by Fake, our clothing brand. You can check that out at fake.tm. Join the Fake Press, and uh, we'll see you in the next episode. Bye.